So yeah, um, yeah, I sent the questions out. So yeah, hopefully you guys had a thought about them. If not, you can think about them now. So the first question, um, to get you guys thinking, um, is like, what's been a big thing on your prayer list that you've been praying for? That's be- you've been waiting to be fulfilled. Managed to be able to like learn how to drive again, because uh, since I had my last fit in twenty sixteen. I've not really been out properly with a driving instructor. But then I was about to do it and then COVID hit. And then we've just been in and out of lockdown. So on on my like on my prayer, it's to always like to be able to drive. And I'm just waiting for the right time where driving instructor will go, yeah, I've got a space and then I'm gonna go for it. But that's that's on my prayer list. Yeah, I've got the same one, but I kind of just given up on mine. Just gonna start uni. Yeah, everyone's busy. Um, I've been praying for a while just to kind of see a bit of a kind of change in my mental attitude towards like porn and stuff because I've very much started to coast for a while, and I'm like, I've been praying that I just wouldn't be doing that, that which would be great. I've been praying a lot about my um my schoolwork and um because recently I've having tr- I've been having uh, trouble finding motivation to doing my schoolwork and even even though as the year comes to an easier comes to a close and I'm going into a new whole new um domain of work then I'm still worried that I might I find myself falling off or I'm not be able to catch up or so yeah it's one of the big things. Um, yeah, awesome. And I guess like my question, like links that you guys have answered is like, how does it feel like waiting for those prayers to be answered? Or like, if anyone's like been waiting for a prayer that has been answered, like, what was it like waiting for that to be answered? Like, how was it like feeling? Like with me, it's, it's really annoying because I just want it to happen like there and there. At times I get impatient, but yeah, it's just it's just really frustrating. I was uh, praying for my friend to pass her driving test because she had failed like four times and she really needed to be able to. And I was in like a sort of study room at the time and she messaged me um, that she'd passed and I had to like stop myself from screaming. I nearly cried as well. So that was the feeling of pure joy. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> Um, I've been praying quite a bit recently for like members of my family's health. Um, a relative or family friend of mine had um a cancer removal the other day and they had a consultation the other day and um he's now supposedly cancer free and they've got another checkup coming soon, which is really good. But um talking about like the waiting process, I weirdly just felt like really calm about it. Like after praying about mm. it and knowing that other people were praying about it, it made me just Rather than thinking, oh no, we've got to wait for results. I just thought, what will be, will be. It's in God's hands. So it actually really helped. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting here. Yeah. Different like emotions when people like are waiting for a prayer to be answered. And yeah. Well, truth is, guys, I can't really not lie to you. Like, I can't tell you when like those prayers, like you guys have been praying to be answered. But like, what I can say is like God's timing is like. It's on a different level and understanding to our own. And like, it is like the better way. 
um, for us. Um, a verse that like brings me a lot of comfort is like John thirteen seven, and it literally Jesus says like you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will. Um, even though that's in the context of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, putting it out of context, I just like to think that like. Jesus is like on our team, like Jesus is wanting to answer those prayers and like he wants to help us and he's doing work behind the scenes that we can't, won't see or like can't see. But like later we will understand like what Jesus is working, what God is working. Um, Yeah. And just a little personal story. Um, Last um, year, August, um, I got my results back and I got rejected from Durham University and that just caused a lot of pain and I was so confused and I was literally praying to God like why have I been rejected like I thought this was the one and it was really like upsetting like I wasn't getting the answer from God like why I was getting rejected and it took like another good like couple of months for me to go my gap year for jesus to reveal like why i got rejected from uni like because it was like an identity thing me placing my identity to go to that uni to impress my family friends so i've gone to a top uni and god's bringing me out from that and i think that's just a great example of like the timing worked out perfectly like for me to understand properly why um it didn't work out so yeah like i think thing it's hard to accept but god's timing is like the best way and like the only way even it's difficult to understand but like he's working all the time um so yeah when you're praying guys just be open-minded that like god will answer in his own way and his way is better um yeah so now i'm gonna pass over to amazing ben um with the pink shirt um and yeah he's gonna give us a talk on like Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 13 and which is a great example of people waiting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks so much, Ramon. Um, yes, yeah, so as Ramon said, we're going to be today. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter two, verses one to thirteen. So, is anyone especially keen to read that for us this evening? So that's Acts chapter two, verses one to thirteen. I mind doing it if anyone else wants. That'd be awesome. Yeah, thank you. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from any nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Each one heard them speaking in their own language utterly amazed they asked are not all these men who were speaking galileans and how is it that each of us hears them in our, his own native language parthians medes and elamites residents of mesopotamia mesopotamia sorry judea and cappadocia pontus and asia phrygia and Pamphylia, egypt and the parts of libya near cyrene visitors from rome both jews and and, and converts to Jude- Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, 
They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Amazing. Thank you so much, um, Elliot. So this passage, this section follows straight up from the passage that Josh unpacked for us last week, where we saw Jesus being ascended into heaven and him basically saying, you know, look, I'm going to send you the promise of my father. You know, he's left them with a clear command. Look, I'm going to send you this amazing promise, but you've got to wait. You're not allowed to depart from Jerusalem until the promise of my father comes. We see that in chapter one, verse four, which reads, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me. So the disciples have been left with a very clear command of what to do. There, there can be no doubt in their minds about what the next step is for them. But that doesn't make it easy. You see, Jesus has ascended to heaven and they've just been left. They've been told to wait in Jerusalem. And this wait, they had to wait for 10 days after the ascension. So that's 10 whole days of just sitting and waiting. So that's one and a half weeks, 240 hours, 14,400 minutes or 864,000 seconds if you break it up. That's a lot of waiting. But you see, they don't just go off. They don't just do their own thing. They don't just, I don't know, watch the equivalent of first century Netflix. They actually wait in community. Notice how they wait. That's a really important thing. And that's one of the things that we're going to be unpacking. We're going to be unpacking how they wait, what they're waiting for and why it's important. So to start with, we've got to notice how they're waiting. Look how they're waiting in verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. It doesn't say they were all in their separate houses. It doesn't say they were all with their own families. It doesn't say that they were off doing whatever they fancied doing. It says they were all together in one place waiting. They wait in community. They're not just sat around in a room, but we know that they are waiting and praying. We saw at the end of chapter one, which we didn't look at last week, but they were waiting on and praying, um, praying for, you know, who would replace Judas. They were actively tapping into God to help them in that waiting period. They weren't just being passive. And we see here that it's so important to remember, actually, it's God's time, not ours. God's timing doesn't equal ours and God's timing is always better than ours you see it's important to remember that God works outside our understanding you know the psalmist tells us in psalm 139 verse 6 that there's some knowledge of the Lord that is just too lofty to attain or in psalm 31 verse 15 the psalmist says my times are in your hands you see we serve and we worship a God who exists both inside and outside of our time. He is both the beginning and the end and everything in between and everything outside of that. So we can't try and conform him to our extremely limited human understanding of time because it just doesn't work. We've got to actually trust and depend on the fact that God is in control. And that's what the early church is doing here. They're waiting on God's timing. And we can see how key community is as well. You know, as I said in verse one, they're waiting together in one place. This idea of bringing struggles and waitings to the fellowship of believers, not doing it on your own, not struggling, not trying to go through a period of waiting by yourself, but instead bringing it to to brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Paul tells us in Galatians 6 two to carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So this is how they're waiting. They're waiting in community. They're waiting 
not passively, but actively. And they're supporting each other. They're praying. They're waiting. And they wait for 10 days. But you might think, OK, so that's all very well and good. We know how they're waiting. But what are they actually waiting for? Well, we spoke about this a little bit earlier. One verse four, the promise of the father. And that's the Holy Spirit. You see, note Jesus's language, the promise, not just a promise, not just some promise, not just one of many promises, though that is true. This is the promise. You see, it's easy to think of the Holy Spirit as a New Testament thing. I can guarantee that if you go into a church and you say, you know, you talk about the Holy Spirit, the first thing that's going to come to people's heads is probably Pentecost, you know, because that's kind of the first instance where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon everyone. But it's not an exclusively New Testament thing. You see, we've seen it in the Old Testament too. Moses uh, in Numbers 11 says, I wish the Lord would put his spirit on them. And we saw all throughout chapter 11 of Numbers that um, the Lord's spirit rests on 70 elders within the Israelite camp who then went on to prophesy. Or in Ezekiel 11 verses 19 to 20, we hear Ezekiel the prophet speaking the words of the Lord, saying, I will give them one undivided heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that they might walk in my statutes, keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I shall be their God. You see, in this, we see a clear imagery of how the Holy Spirit works, how it changes from the inside out. How by exchanging our heart of stone for a heart of flesh and by filling us with his spirit, God can begin to change us into his hands and feet, carrying out his mission. Or in Joel chapter two, verse 28 to 29, which Peter then quotes in his in his sermon, which Josh is going to speak on next week. It reads, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. You see, I want to focus in on this. You can actually um, see this in verse 17 and 18. So I know it's outside of our, our passage, but look at the language that's used here. It's liberal. And not liberal as in liberal politically, but it's liberal in terms of God's generosity of the spirit. Look at this. I will pour out my spirit on all people. You see, Joel back in the Old Testament was looking forward to a day when the Holy Spirit would be available to all. It will be poured out. You see, this idea of pouring, when you think of pouring, it's not something that's stingy. It's not like you're you're dripping. If you imagine you've got a jug of water, if you're pouring that, you're like you're pouring a, a large amount. You're not like dripping out tiny little drops. You're you're pouring it generously. And we can see that God out of his bottomless grace and mercy pours the spirit out. You know, in the Old Testament, where God gave a taster of the Holy Spirit to certain people like Isaiah in chapter 61, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Where God gave a taster in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, he pours it out freely available to anyone who would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And why is there this change? How do we get this shift between Old Testament and New Testament? And the simple answer is because of Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we have access to the Holy Spirit. And that is key. I want to also rewind a bit. So we're still on, on verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived. So obviously, when we think of Pentecost, the first thing we think of is this story here. Disciples gathered in an upper room, tongues of fire coming down and resting on each of their heads. That's what we think. of. But you see, back then in first century, Pentecost 
So it was the 50th day after Passover, and it was the celebration that celebrated the law giving at Mount Sinai back in the Exodus. You see, whereas back in Exodus at Mount Sinai, where God poured out his rules, his commands to the Israelites, we see that here on this Pentecost, that God poured out his spirit on a day that had promised the spirit would enable them to live a righteous life which we were unable to do under the law. You see this idea that the free giving of the spirit fulfills the law, as did Jesus' coming onto earth. There's this idea that with God's spirit living inside us, we no longer have to try and earn our salvation because the spirit is a seal of what Jesus has already done. And we can see the impact. Why is this all important? Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You see, it's not like a little breeze. It's not like, I don't know, like a five pound USB fan. This is like a mighty rushing wind. And in the Old Testament, the spirit is described with the Hebrew word ruach. And the Greek equivalent of that is pneuma. But you see, this word, it's more than spirit. The Hebrew word rock is God's breath. It's like a wind, a life force that sustains. It's not some feeble breeze, but it's mighty. And we can see that this mighty imagery is continued in verse three. You've got this mighty rushing wind, which then is divided into tongues of fire. And then we can see that continuing on verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. You see, this is linking back to the idea that the Holy Spirit, God, Ruach, this breath. So what I want you to think about, we're going to have a brief interlude here. I want you guys to think, how many breaths do you reckon the average human takes in a day? 5,000. Well, it's 13 per minute is like the average. So we calculate that. How many minutes in an hour? I knew this was going to happen. 60. And then 60 times 24. Um, hang on, 600 times 24. What's that? Anyone got a calculator? I'm saying 20,000. 14,400. You sound like you've counted there, Elliot. Yeah, I was watching no, Elliot. I was like, it, someone's counting. At least no. five. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, yeah, either way, there's there's a lot of breaths that we take. So, yeah, if we take if we take the average number of breaths as being between 13 and 16 per minute, um, this is kind of at rest, then that equates to you know approximately 900 an hour, which is roughly just over 20,000 a day. Or if we kind of take that 20,000 a day, you're looking at about 8 million breaths per year, give or take. You see, the answer is that's more than one. And I want to challenge you with this idea that if we are taking, if we're, taking this idea that the Holy Spirit, God, uses this Hebrew word ruach, like a breath. Why do we think that we can be suitably filled with only being filled once? You can't survive if you only take one breath. And that's the same thing. You know, and also I feel like something else that we've got to kind of touch on here is this idea that we shouldn't take each day for granted. Ultimately, every single breath that we take is a gift from God. I knew that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, treat each new day as a gift. And yes, we absolutely should. But ultimately, who knows 
you know, the timings of anything. You know, no one knows how long our lives might be. No one knows when Jesus is going to come back. So we've got to live as if that could be in the next five minutes. You see, we've got to get this sense of urgency in here. So we've got to treat each breath as a gift. But going back to here, verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't a one-time event. We can see actually in chapter four, verse eight, Peter is filled again with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 31, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's verse 31 of chapter four. You see, we should be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, which Paul touches on in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. Now, if you read that in your Bible, it will probably read, be filled with the Spirit, which doesn't do justice to the original Greek that it was written. You see, Paul wrote this in the Greek present imperative. And a better translation of that is into English is go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not a one time event. You see, the baptism in the spirit is an event is not an event, but it's a lifestyle. And we can see the impact that that has. Verse four, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. They didn't just suddenly do that out of their own knowledge out of their own skills that was all from the spirit as the spirit gave them utterance and we got to look at the the impact of that you know why have we become comfortable with talking about only past experiences of the holy spirit like don't get me wrong those past experiences have been great but why have we become comfortable with only talking about that one time we felt really on fire for god at a church camp four years ago you see, we should be filled to the brim every single day, day by day, so that we can be changed from the inside out. Like Jesus talks about in Mark 7, where he talks about this idea that whatever is inside a person will come out of them. Whatever is inside a person, it will either corrupt them if it's kind of evil desires in their hearts. It will corrupt from inside to out. It's the same way, but the other way around. You see, if we're full of the spirit, our very lifestyles change. Our habits change, our relationships change, our interactions with other people change, our attitudes towards our work, towards socialising. Everything changes when we have this new perspective, which is grown in us over the over the course of our lives. You know, there's this idea of progressive holiness and there's this idea of holiness that's already been achieved through Jesus. There's, there's two sides of the same coin. But. Now we can go on to look at the impact. So we see in verse four, the Holy, the Holy Spirit fills the disciples in that upper room. It fills them in verse four and they start to speak in other tongues. And then verse five to 12, we see the impact of that. And actually, even all throughout chapter two, we see um, that massive impact that one event has. So we can see that the apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the spirit. And then in verses five to verse 12, they proclaimed what God had done in their lives. You see, verse 11, skipping forward a bit, um, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. You see, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, they don't use it to show off. They don't walk up to people and be like, wow, look how many languages I can speak. They use it to bring glory to God. They use it to tell people of the mighty works of God that had happened in their lives to loads of people you see the people in this list 
from the 18 different areas, 18 kind of different groups that I mentioned, some people there had traveled well over 800 miles, which to put that in UK terms is about the distance from Land's End to John Gross, from the top of the UK right to the bottom, but obviously not in the UK, actually in the Middle East. You see, people had traveled far and that's why it's so impressive. There's no way that this this could have been anything human. You know, the apostles here, they're speaking to well over 15 languages here. The people are listening to them speak in at least 15 unique languages and they're understanding them. There's no way that that cannot be the work of God. That's got to be a miracle. But you see, this is what I want to get at. You see, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not it's not just personal. It's not just something to to make us feel good about ourselves. It's not just something to ignite our own souls. You see, what's the what's the point in our own souls being ignited if we're not using that to further God's kingdom? You see, we are filled with the Holy Spirit because we are heirs to the mission. If we jump back to that verse in Isaiah 61, where um, Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He then goes on to say, so he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. You see, this mission that was begun by Jesus in the Gospels is continued today throughout his people. It's the same mission. It's that same. It's that same great commission. Matthew 28. We always go back to it. But therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, we're called to tell people what Jesus has done in our lives. We're baptized with the spirit to carry out the next stage of God's plan. You see, if we look at this passage, the apostles, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they didn't just sit around. They didn't play cards. They didn't go out for a meal. They got up and spoke. Peter delivered a sermon to a huge crowd of people in the middle of Jerusalem. And 3000 people became Christians that day. Never put God in a box. You see, I bet that the apostles did not expect that by the end of that day, that 3000 people would have become Christians. You see, that's why this is so key. And now if we fast forward to the end of the passage, so skipping all the bit or we have already looked at it. So fast forward now to verse 12. So, you know, after we hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God, verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking, saying, others mocking said they are filled with new wine. You see, this should give us great confidence. In addition to everything that we've read in the Gospels, where Jesus tells us that, um, you know, if they hated me, they will hate you also. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Or Matthew 6, where he talks about, you know, blessed are you when people persecute you. You see, right from the start, the church has experienced mockery, testing. It's been sneered at by the culture, which it is so radically opposed to. But this will not stop the gospel message from going out. You see, we can see quite clearly here, verse 12 and 13, there's two different responses that we'll get. When we are preaching the undiluted message of the gospel, it's like the parable of the sower. You know, if we sow the seed, it will land on different parts of the ground. Yeah, sure. You know, some will plant on really fertile soil and that will grow into great fruit. Some will land on the path. It will get taken away. Some will grow initially quite well on the kind of rocky ground. But when the sun comes, it will just get scorched. It's got no roots. 
and others will you know grow but it will be crowded out by the busyness of life by the weeds but you see it's not our job to grow that seed it's just our job to plant it to sow those seeds and an example of this is you know despite all the persecution that the church has experienced it hasn't stopped the gospel message going out take the you know the early church between 20 and 50 years after jesus ascended into heaven the early christians were brutally persecuted by rome you know especially by nero you know he would often you know feed christians to lions. that's what the Colosseum is about you know christians being fed to lions being fed to wild dogs being made to, to fight each other brutally persecuted or if you want a modern day example just take a look at china you know it's actually illegal in china to be a christian however that hasn't stopped the chinese underground church growing far faster than pretty much any other part of the world you see no matter the persecution that the church faces it will not stop the gospel message going out so to wrap this all up why do we struggle to be filled slash refilled with the holy spirit well you see often i think it's because we ask for the wrong reasons perhaps we're asking because we want a really specific thing to happen in our lives perhaps we're asking because we want to look good perhaps we're asking because I don't know, for a reason that is self-centered. But you see, we've got to take the moment to remember that actually it's God's plan above our plan. God's plan is always greater than our own. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses from John chapter 15, uh, verse 26 to 27. This is Jesus speaking. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You see, we have a role to play to testify to the gospel in our everyday lives. God invites us to be filled and refilled every day so that he can work through us and in us for the spread of the gospel. You see, there's this idea that we have a role to play. We shouldn't be satisfied with being filled once every couple of years. But we should turn to God every day and just seek him earnestly, just praying that he will fill us um, with the spirit every single day, right to the brim, um, so that we can go out and live out his plan for our lives. Yeah, just Pentecost is like a a really symbolic thing. But like whenever I think of Pentecost, I weirdly don't go to Acts 2 like most people would. I tend to think in uh, Ephesians 5 just because it really gives such a view into what really is the Holy Spirit. How do we become filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, what is our control? Like, is it guiding us as opposed to forcing us? Like, we sit in such a position where we, where we look and we think, wait, is the Holy Spirit making me do this? Or is, is it the Holy Spirit within me that makes me want to do it? See, it's like when we say we love God because he first loved us. It's not a forced love. It's a love of recognition for what he's done. We're not forced into relationship with him. It's like it's the big thing about what, how we can have a choice to be here. Because God, although he knows our heart and he sees us, there's so much of it that is a choice for us like if you were to like you know how how you have prison lineups not prison lineups like lineups in a police station where they've got people and they're trying to pick out the person like in the backstreet boys episode of brooklyn 99 
the best the best bit but you have people there if you had somebody drunk and the rest of the people weren't you'd be able to tell who the drunk person is it should be the same with the holy spirit the holy spirit should be the thing that is most visible on you like when god descends on us as a person we change in that moment and we really are guided by his spirit like these people at pentecost were speaking in tongues so then we would be able to see when god descends on us even now you put us in a lineup with loads of people who haven't accepted the holy spirit you'd be able to tell the person with the holy spirit apart from the apart from the rest see it's just it we should be that way in attempting to be guided when we step out to be filled so yeah